What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. People always assume that animals mate like we do, a male and a female, but that's not the case. So I wanted to tell that story, and I thought it could always start with just simply a close-up of me saying, if I were a praying mantis, this is how I would make love, and I would change myself in costume, because, of course, I have a long experience as a model, and <laughs> so costume and um, fashion is my background. So I could tra- transform myself into that animal and show how they mate. You probably know Isabella Rossellini from her extremely successful acting and modeling career. But you may not know her as one of the most unusual communicators about the sex lives of insects and other animals that you'll ever come across. Actually, maybe the only one you'll ever come across. Isabella has fascinated people around the globe with a series of videos on YouTube called Green Porno. It's not only attention-grabbing, it's also funny. And it comes from a place of curiosity, deep in Isabella's heart. It's really interesting that you're very much, as I am, in the business of trying to help science be available to all of us. And I and I think I read someplace that you said you you want to share what you experience as you as you learn more about exactly science. exactly I I think my passion and curiosity for animal behavior was so great that I could overcome the difficulties of reading scientific papers about them. (laughs) (laughs) But as I went back to university to take my master's degree, I started to make films about them and what I've learned, comical films about them. And the biggest obstacle that I had, I have to say, was to take the scientific papers and translate them into a, a language that is accessible to everyone. It's interesting. It's not just the language that I got out of it. For instance, Green Porno, that series of films <laughs> about basically about the repro- reproduction. reproduction among other animals. Yes. And uh, especially ones where one mate devours the other. Yes. And that, or just knocks them off, you know. Knocks them off, change sex, anything is possible. And that's what I found it. It was comical. I I think that um, my films or my monologues that I do in the theater are comical. And I frankly, I didn't know 
that it started about wanting to be comical, but I realized that uh, what made my interest an animal is uh, that they are humorous to me. They make me laugh, and that's what appeals to me. Uh, so the first series I created, Green Porno, um, was how how animal reproduced. And there is nothing funnier because, of course, we have all this morality. If to be married, uh, you may be best just to make love to have your babies, not just for pleasure. And then you look at the animal world and animals change sex, uh, um, have homosexual relationships, uh, devour their babies, devour their spouse. Anything goes. Well, well <laughs> I got to tell you, I sometimes found it funny. Sometimes it scared the daylights out of me. I I, I actually had a feeling of terror. And there you are, you dressed up in a bug suit. And I should have been laughing at it, but I thought, I don't want to get my head bitten off. Exactly. That's the praying mantis. It's amazing. The praying mantis, while the male is mounting the female, the female turns her head and starts eating him and start eating him by the head. And he evolved a brain where the the neurons or whatever it takes in the brain to have the the movement to penetrate her is away from the brain, has traveled down into the spinal cord. So he can still m- do the trashing movement that he needs to do uh, mating her while his brain is being eaten. Because by the time he gets to the end of him and devours even that, then it's ending. It is terrifying. It, it, it somehow <laughs> doesn't make me laugh. <laughs> but but there, it's a wonderful exploration of the different ways one bug or animal can be punctured any, in any part of the body. That's the the bed bugs, you know, that is infested a lot of the beds in New York City. Yeah. Uh, the bed bugs, first of all, you have to bring a beagle, a dog, who can smell your mattress. And the beagle, it will be the best detector if you do have bed bugs or not, besides the bites that you have <laughs> find on your body. But it could be maybe bites of other insect. So that already makes me laugh that I had a friend <laughs> who had bed bugs and a little beagle the, came in, the exterminator came with a little dog, a beagle that's smelling the house and would bark at every um, piece of furniture, the sofa or the bed where she could smell the bug. That bug is very interesting because it has the female uh, doesn't have a vagina, a, va- a vagina or anything similar to a vagina. There would be a receptor of mm. sperm. She has evolved a body as a kind of... Um, blood uh, circulation system where uh, the male penetrates her by puncturing her like an injection anywhere it wants in the body and ejecting the sperms that would travel in her her blood system and find through the blood circulation the eggs that then will be in uh, fertilized which, which, as I understand, is not actual blood, but it's a, it's, right. a, it's, it's a serum-like blood. Right. The insect, they don't have a blood like ours that is red, but yeah. they have, a, 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 yes, but the liquid that carries um, the antibodies, the oxygen, whatever, mm-hmm. you need the same mm-hmm. the same function as the blood. She has that stream that runs through her body to run 
to be able to include the sperms that then would find, as they're circulating her body, they're finding the eggs Isn't and fertilizing Isn't it amazing them. how nature finds so many ways to accomplish the same thing? Exactly. That like walking, me, locomotion, all, all different ways of doing it. Well, the, the reason why I did sex is was because I thought that if I do locomotion or digestive system, I wouldn't find an audience. <laughs> <laughs> but sex already had... Uh, and, and now I... My next show that I'm doing um, is about intelligence, cognition, as the scientists mm. prefer to call it. And I was very afraid not to find an audience. My new show is called Link, Link, Circus. And, it, of course, Link is referred to Darwin. Darwin was the first with his theory of evolution that linked us to the animals. He said, uh, we have a common ancestor with the apes. And what's the circus part of it? The circus part of it, so because I was intimidated that not talking about sex, but intelligence. As I say, this show is about waist up. The other one was about waist down. Uh, that I had to have an element of charm to charm my audience. And so I have a little dog, a, a trained dog that is with me, um, that I dress her up like different animals. And she does a little bit of training. I mean, she did need training, but she doesn't do anything spectacular. She doesn't jump into any, any loop of fire, but she box and she sits on command and she comes and goes. But most of all, she's dressed like different animals as I am talking about animals. For example, at a certain point, I talk about sheep. Uh, the natural, now sheep, they're white, but that's not a natural color. They were selected by our ancestor to be white because uh. white is easier for die, to die. So fashion... So what color were they originally? Is the black sheep. The famous black oh, sheep really? is the ancestral natural color of the sheep, which is uh. a dark brown. And if you think of any a wild cousin of the sheep, antelopes, they're all brown, beige, but white is very rare color in in the wild, in the wild, unless you are from the North Pole and right. you want to you camouflage, you have not much protection from predators if you're white and down south. Exactly. So, uh, when I talk about this uh, way that our ancestor manipulated wild animal to select uh, certain traits and created domestic animals, such as the domestic sheep, the white sheep that we see in the flocks. My dog first comes out dressed like a sheep, and then I have a series of puppets coming in to create a flock, and then she mingles uh, with the puppets to be creating a flock of sheep. So this is what the dog does, and I thought he would add charm so that we can talk about cognition and how men intervene in the evolution of the animals, but... Um, um, I, I always want my shows to be entertaining. I mean, above all, I am an entertainer. So the dog is helping me bring that element. So it's very interesting to me because we're both on a similar trajectory to mm -hmm. share our our love of science and the the pleasure, at least from my, my from my point of view, the the pleasure I get, the amazement that I feel. Me at too. what's being discovered. Should exactly. You, I it's just it... want to share that with people. How did you get the idea of 
using the animals in such a theatrical way? Because you, you have this love of animals, obviously. Yeah, you know was there it, some moment where you said, I'll, I'll put them center stage? Yes, you know, I, it came about, so I my father is a filmmaker, was a filmmaker called Roberto Rossellini, who in 2006, it would, be, it would, have, it would have been his, his centennial. And I wanted to do an homage to my father. And I created a 20 minutes film that Sundance saw at the festival in Toronto, liked it and bought it. And that was my first relationship with the Sundance channel. And they liked my film and they offered me to do short films with an environmental message. And at first I said, oh, I'm not a filmmaker. Uh, I'm not a director. And then almost like a little lamp bulb went into my head. I said, oh, I can make a a series of film called Green Porno, uh, the title came later, about how animal mates, because people always assume that animal mate like we do, a male and a female, but that's not the case. They have they have animals that have the same sex, they are hermaphrodites, or they are animals that are born male and then become female when they're older. So I wanted to tell that story, and I thought it could always start with just simply a close-up of me saying, if I were... Um, I don't know, if I were a praying mantis, this is how I would make love. And I would change myself in costume because, of course, I have a long experience as a model. And (laughs) so costume and um, fashion is my background. So I could transform myself into that animal and and show how they make. I don't want to embarrass you, but as an actress, you set yourself a... I don't think an easy task, and you're so convincing as these <laughs> bugs and who have an objective that's of utmost importance to them, and you really play that so authentically, so with, with all your heart. It's, just, it's wonderful to see as a fellow actor. I, read that. I love it. I played very good worms. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I you get know, into it. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned uh, your your work as a uh, model. Uh, and I was interested to read about the research that I think Lancome did on asking people how they read you and other models, what they thought your private life was like it's just so from looking at pictures of your modeling. Exactly. Isn't that interesting? They came that, up with kind of accurate answers. Completely accurate. So they do marketing research, and I'm, and I'm not allowed to read this marketing research, but sometimes people gossip and report back to me. And one of the things that was most fascinating to me is that they, Lancome used me for many years, but without identifying who I was, my name or my background. And and the advertisement was just this image of this woman wearing the cream or advertising the cream. And then they do marketing research and they ask the people to describe this person. They say, do you think she's married? Do you think she has children? How do you think she lived? Does she live in a city, in the country? How do you imagine her, the core of her house to be? And they were so detailed. It was amazing. They guessed that I was married, that I was a mother, that I had a European uh, uh, background, and that my sofas were white. <laughs> and indeed, my sofas are, they have a slip cover that is white. And I couldn't get over of how... We can read so many details in a face, in an expression. And this is one of the questions, you know, going back to animals and when you study animal communication, 
that I ask myself, is it enough to just study the animal authors and sounds to trying to decipher what they say when we are able, without words, to guess so much about just a person and their expression? I think communication is goes through much more than just uh, language. I watch dogs with their with the people who care for them on the street and a dog will be walking with someone on a leash and about every 3 or 4 steps look up into the face of the human checking that person out and there's a real it's it's easy to anthropomorphize an, another cool. animal mm-hmm. but there almost seems to be this look of concern on the dog's face is everything okay are we are we still together on this and it's this taking in the face of the human that sounds like a little bit to me like what you're talking about about how we read one another's faces i mean it's you know when you were talking about the dog checking the faces i remember a paper that i read in school and they made a, a comparison bec- between wolf and dogs mm. and w- of course, the dog is domesticated, uh, the, and the dog, well, the ancestor of the dog is the wolf. But the wolf, but the dog was domesticated by men, and they co-evolved probably. And and the dogs look at human beings much more than a wolf does. Just probably, we assume to detect uh, what does it want. Is he okay? And I have noticed things that are very uh, mysterious. You probably have dog too. Sometimes I'm at my desk uh, writing or reading, and then I think, okay, enough. I'm going to take a walk. And before I can get up, just that thought, my dog Mm. runs to the door looking at the leash as if he could read my mind. Now, maybe cannot read my mind, but do I exude a different smell because a different thought has happened in my brain? So... As certainly communicate something that is, is I cannot detect, but he can. You got to get a notebook and keep track of yes. every time you get up out of the chair and see how many times the dog goes for the leash. For the leash, yeah. They yeah. Can, they seem to anticipate and uh, what we want to do, especially things they want to do, like taking a walks. You remind me of research I read about the hormone oxytocin mm-hmm. that is. Um, considered to be very important in bonding among people. And the research indicated that when the human and the dog look at each other's eyes, they, they they hold the gaze of one another for a while, like maybe a minute or two, the oxytocin in both the human and the dog goes up. So the idea of looking in the eyes as a boost to bonding may be part of what's going on there. I, 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 yes, I totally agree. I know that, you know, that's why we have service dogs. I volunteer for the Guide Dog Foundation, so I'm mostly trained dog for the blind, but I know that some of these dogs who may not be able, uh, you know, who doesn't have a a talent to guide, end up being service dog in the sense that they go to the hospital or or, uh, people where old people hold people home or auspices because there is a definitely um, relation between calming and by caressing the dog. I have a friend of mine with whom 
I raise bees, and his wife has Alzheimer's, and she now is dead, but she um, didn't react to anything. But when a, when a little dog would come, and she would then caress it and seemed she would have a smile. She seemed that the dog brought her some solace. I attribute that to the fact that we co-evolved. Dog mm. has been the first animal that has been domesticated 15, 20,000 years ago. Most of the other animals have been domesticated about 8,000 years ago with the event of agriculture. And most of them have been domesticated because we want to eat them. <laughs> Chickens, pigs, uh, cows. Dog is unusual because most civilizations don't eat the dog, but we co-evolved for friendship. We created an alliance with them. And it's a powerful alliance. I always feel, because I have many dogs, I have a little farm, and I, I first had dogs, and I said, oh, I want to have all animals. My relationship with the dog is so great. But I feel the history with dogs. Still, the dog is the one that I'm most bonded with. She may be most bonded with dogs, but Isabella has a knack for connecting with all kinds of animals, including chickens. Her interesting thoughts about how chickens have different personalities and how that might have helped them survive as long as they have, right after this. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. This is Clear and Vivid. Back now to Isabella Rossellini and what she's learned from her passionate study of animals. Now, what about all these chickens? You, you, uh, yes. <laughs> you, have, you have how many chickens, do you think? I have about 100 chickens. And do you get close to any one of them? So the, the biggest surprise that I've had is that they, are, they have personalities. Now, this is a, a new item that the science is interested in, personalities. They always assume that animals have no personalities. You wouldn't imagine a chicken would have a personalities. But they definitely have personalities. And I have a friend that works with ants. He studies ants. And he tells me that even among ants, there is personality. And he knows that there is the slacker and the workaholic. Uh, <laughs> That's really hard to believe because they seem, among all the animals, among those who are highly programmed. Highly to- programmed. But no, apparently th- there is personalities. And uh, I think that the difference in individuality 
is essential for evolution because evolution works in the differences, physical differences. If you have more fur and uh, uh, the weather changes, the pattern of the weather changes and it becomes colder, that animal that has more more hair would probably, the babies of that animal will inherit more hair and they'll have a better chance to live. So within a few generations, you would have a chicken, for example, which much more fluffy feathers that has survived rather than the families of chickens that had fewer hair. And to the extent, I would imagine, what do you think, to the extent that personality can help you survive like more fur can. Exactly. If you naturally come in with a personality that's uh, that's that favors this survivability. Exactly. Then Just you need that variation in the personalities, I guess. Perfect. Exactly. So I don't think it's only variation in physical trait, which was long recognized, but also is personality. So it might be better to be shyer, more flighty, or maybe it is better to be friendlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, they assumed it, there is a wonderful scientist called Brian Hare that wrote a, a book called The Genius of Dog, and he wrote several paper paper about the evolution of the, the wolf. And he doesn't think that wolf was uh, um, domesticated by men, but he thinks that wolf self-domesticated, meaning that the wolf that were least aggressive were allowed to live near human dwellings near mm. the grotto. And, and weren't they drawn to piles of refuse where they would exactly. feed? Exactly. But if they were a- attracted to pile of uh, garbage, they would eat. But then a man would appear with his garbage to throw in the pile. And then the wolf would eat the man. The man would make sure either <sighs> to change the, the way of disposal of the garbage or would kill the wolf. So he was the non-aggressive wolf that was let to be there because he eat the pile of garbage and we clean up the, uh, would be kind of a housekeeping service, a primitive housekeeping service, and was allowed to live there. So little by little in the many, many centuries, the, the wolf that was least aggressive had the greatest advantages and that eventually it became the dog. So he th- proposes this new idea that the wolf self-domesticated. And then as the wolf evolved to become the dog, things happened physically, physical changes, floppy ears, patchy coats. Those are very signs of domestication. Patchy coats, for example, you see it in cows, domestic cows, you see domestic goats. Patch, patchy meaning, patchy meaning black color, and white. Like a, patches of color. Patches of colors. Uh-huh. You don't really see that much in the wild, but you see it in the domestic animals. So we do know that it is a characterization. It's a characteristic of domestication. So probably the gene that is linked with uh, being not aggressive, being uh, tamest, uh, being kindest to human being, is also linked to something physical among them all. Because after a while, they start having this black and white and brown patchy coats: dogs, cats, cows, goats. All of them. Hmm. Do you do you think that the the wolves got a good deal as they began began to be domesticated? Is it better to be on your own hunting your prey or to be dependent on a human for feeding you? 
Well, sometimes I'm asked, if you were to choose to be an animal, what animal would you be? And I always say a dog, uh, a dog, especially in America or in Europe, because in some other countries, they might be considered like vermin. Because, um, you, look, there's a million, millions and millions of dogs, uh, and we all love them, uh, especially in our culture. Um and the wolf, uh, whether they lost of habitat, they're endangered. Most of the time, wild animals yes, are endangered. Right. So I would choose to be a domestic animal, but probably not a farm animal, because then you risk this big industrial farming, which could yes. be quite cruel toward them. Do you recognize individual chickens in your farmyard? Yes, I do. I, I recognize them uh, uh, by their personalities, definitely. Mm. I can... Of course, I can see the extreme personalities, not the personalities in between. I can see the one that is very bold, that is the first one to always run to me, to even, if I sit, fly on my lap. And then I see the very flighty one, the one that I can never catch. Uh, the one in between are harder to see, but I'm sure that they exist. Do you name them? I have a hundred of them. So the one that are very... They have distinct personality, like the boldest and the shyest one. They have names. One is called Red. The other one is called Speedy, because she always runs <laughs> off. Uh, but the one in between, where I'm sure there is personalities, but I can't really detect them, um, they don't have a name. <laughs> it just occurred to me that you must be vegan, right? I'm not. Oh, that's so interesting. I am so not, I'm not even vegetarian. Oh, interesting. So I'm not vegan... Um, the vegan, I have an I still have an. Uh, I have to understand. I mean, I understand that the principle of eating things where animal they don't have to suffer, and I respect it. Uh, a lot of vegan eat only vegetables, but I run a farm, and uh, the vegetables are. It's an organic farm, so we use organic practice. But even organic practice, we kill the insect that are eating our salad. We, eat, we kill them with chemi organic chemicals or we uh, we give them, for example, there is something horrible. So if the, I don't know if the vegan don't know this information, but there is some kind of a grounded stone that you can cover your crop with. And if a bug lays the eggs and the babies of this bug eat that uh, leaf, they will also eat part of the stone that would... Uh, uh, kill them. So we also have methods that are quite cruel, if you want, but otherwise our vegetables would be eaten by bugs. So I never understand the ex um, how the vegan come to terms with how to eat vegetables, because if you grow your vegetables, you would also have to kill. Right. I guess, I guess <clears throat> there's a line drawn between Bugs and other animals. Probably. Uh, or maybe the thought never occurs to them. And I'm not vegetarian, although I cannot eat my own chickens. I eat their eggs, but I don't eat my own ch I don't kill my chicken and eat them. Um, uh, and But I do go to the supermarket and buy a chicken that I don't know and eat it. It's, it seems horrible. But one day I went to a conference with uh, Temple Graydon, you know, the great yes. lady yes. that does all the animals' uh, welfare and, and designs a slaughterhouse to ease uh, their death. And I asked her, and I said, do you think it's because I'm an actress, I'm a model, and so I'm a hypocrite. I cannot kill my own <laughs> chicken, but I eat my, you know, the chicken from the supermarket. But it's okay to be a hypocrite because you get to hang on to your values. 
But well, she well, said, "Well, you do anything lot, you want to do." She yeah. said, "Oh, that's so normal. That's typical of a lot of farmer. They eat their neighbor's animal, not their own animal." So I felt very good about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one one of the things that I wanted to ask you when I found that you really study this seriously. You're getting, uh, or you have a master's in. Anim- my last, I have to, I'm doing my last course. I am, I have to do an experiment with my chickens. It will be my dissertation as well. Uh, so, and then I'm done with and, master's and degree. And what will the experiment be? I'm, I'm designing the experiment as we speak. I have three coops. I get the chickens when they are about two days old and they grow together. And then I get another coop a year later, and then another year later, another coop. And that's basically to have younger animals, not to buy them all at the same time and then end up with a group, you know, six years later with a lot of chickens who are in menopause because chickens also go in menopause and mm. wouldn't lay the, chick- the eggs. But I don't mix the group, not because of age, but because I think that they don't, they don't, they create families and they have a flock and they don't like new chickens. Of course, in a farm, they mix a lot of chickens. You take 10, you kill them, you bring 10 new ones, and that creates a lot of tension. So I would like to design an experiment where I would have a group of chickens living together and then I bring a new chicken and you see how they react. Would they let that new chicken eat with them or do they push them away? And then I would like to bring a rooster and to see if they, a rooster, a male, would be more accepted than a female. That's my experiment. That's so interesting. And it sounds like what you're talking about to some extent is communication among these animals. Yes, definitely. Communication, I, I'm sure that they communicate to one another. It would be impossible to survive this world that is so unpredictable if there isn't a way to communicate, to alert. Uh, they do know uh, that chickens already have different sounds. For example, a chicken can alert the other thing, chicken with a different call if the danger is from above, like a uh, hawk who's uh. circulating, or from below, a snake. And that chicken that, chicken that spots the prey, predator would emit different sound and the chicken would react differently. If it is a predator from above, they will go and hide under bushes. But if the predator is from below, they will all fly up on trees to be away. So they do know that there is uh, calls that have specific meanings. An interesting and important distinction to make if you're a chicken and you have to hide from either a hawk or a snake. So you you can see how that, that... difference in the call would have evolved for the safety of the flock. For the safety of the flock, and also that they communicate to the flock, that they don't just do it, just the one that spots the snake or spots the hawk saves herself, but she emits a sound for the flock to be protected. So that is already gives you an idea that they are social animals, that they have uh, uh, grown, evolved together, and so there is... uh, Altruism. I mean, it's a very big word, but Darwin himself said, how can we account for the evolution of altruism if it is all about the survival of the individual? It is sometimes the survival of the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the awareness of the other animal seems to be there, at least for some animals. I, I was part of an experiment uh, on the science show that we did where... 
a chimp would send out a distress call when someone dressed like uh, a researcher in a white coat carrying a huge hypodermic came in because they don't like it when they get these shots. But the distress call would be to alert a chimp that couldn't see the doctor coming in. And there was this apparent awareness that the one making the call knew what the other one knew, which is an awareness of the state of mind. Absolutely. Do you get any sense from your studies and your experience with animals that there are that there is a kind of tonality that has shades of meaning. Because as, as actors, you and I both ah, yes. don't just say lines. We say the, the meaning of the line. Oh, I, have, I can tell you. I'm going to quote from my, uh, my last monologue called Linkling Circus. I say, as an actress, I know it isn't what I say, but how I say that gives meaning. I can say I love you and mean I hate you. Do you want me to show you? And then I do three I love you uh, with different tones. Do you tone. mind doing them now? I'm doing it. I know if it works in the radio. So the first one, I turn my back to the audience. Then I turn with a very angry face and I say, I love you, meaning I hate you. Then I pretend I'm distraught and I love you. Then I walk around checking my nails and with great distraction, I say, yeah, yeah, I love you. <laughs> and then one, I'm laughing out loud. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> and here I have given uh, one sentence, but I could mean complete different things. And we call that prosody, you know, in, mm. in, in the theater. And... Uh, uh, there is a professor called Eugene Morton that um, hypothesized that maybe animals also have prosody. And actually, because we all co-evolved, there might be a language that it's understood by all, at least terrestrial animals like birds and mammals. And I give an example in my show. Eugene Morton thinks that every call that goes from down to up always express surprise and delight in all species. Ah! Mm. But up to down might express always appeasing, ah, an abrupt sound, <laughs> it's always a threat. And he believes that's common among all animals, and that's how also we can communicate interspecies. And it's very interesting. I, I like his hypothesis quite a lot. Very interesting. And I wonder, uh, are you aware of any uh, attempt to find variations in the tones for shades of meaning in those sounds? You know, I, I saw my chickens. First of all, they emit many, many different sounds, but they do combine them with body postures and attitude. So maybe mm. like us actors, they can say just I love you, but they can say it with a sense of humor, with a sense of dismissing, with passion. It could be that that call that scientists might have recorded and studied, if it not taken into consideration the body language, doesn't mean anything. Like, I love you, it doesn't mean for us actor anything unless it's how we say it that would give it meaning. Well, people listening to this haven't been able to see your body language, but you've been incredibly interesting and communicative, and I really appreciate your talking with me. Thank you so Thank much. You so much. Um, Great, 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 great to talk to you. Let me ask you something. We we often end our show, we always end our shows, if you're agreeable to this, yes. with seven quick questions. Okay. And, you know, they just ask for a quick answer. Um, 
So here's the first question. What do you wish you really understood? If animals think. Hmm. What do you wish other people understood about you? Um, How they'd understand about me? That I want to laugh. Because <laughs> they, they always think that the most important thing for me is to be beautiful because I've been a model. But I think it's more important for me to have to laugh. <laughs> That's great. What's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you? The strangest question they ask me during the interview is the philosophical questions like, uh, um, how, how do you think you can obtain happiness? You know, those are questions that I say, well, where am I? I'm not. A pope? I'm, I'm not a politician. I mean, maybe they could give answers and their relative answers anyway. Those are the hardest. Okay, here's one. How do you stop a compulsive talker? Um, I think I'll walk away. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Pretty definitive. Is there anybody that you just can't feel empathy for? Um, I... I do. I cannot name a person, but I think people that are very aggressive or argue their opinion with enormous aggressiveness, uh, so that they try to undermine me, it doesn't work. I always wish that people can express their different opinion with kindness and in trying to convince me rather than overwhelm me. Right. How do you like to deliver bad news in person? On the phone or by carrier pigeon? Oh, carrier pigeon, definitely. <laughs> let it, let the pigeon do it. <laughs> They're getting better and better at it. <laughs> okay, last question. What, if anything, would make you end a friendship? Hmm. Um, end a friendship. I, I have many friends. I had to say... That is, if anything, there is the regrets of not being able to uh, see more my friends because my friends are in Italy where I grew up. Some friends are in France where I grew up, where I worked a lot as a model. Some friends, of course, are in Los Angeles where I worked as an actress, but I live in New York and now in a farm. So I have so many friends. So rather than the regret of um, or what would stop me from a friendship is the regrets of not being able to cultivate and see all the friends I have more. That's very nice. It sounds like the only thing that would separate you is geography. Oh, I always say I would like to drain the Atlantic Ocean and just uh, put the two continents back together as they used to be. <laughs> That's great. Thanks so much. It's just been a lovely time. Thank you. This has been clear and vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to the sponsors of this episode. All the income from the ads you hear goes to the Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. Just by listening to this podcast, you're contributing to the better communication of science. So thank you. In December of 2016, Vanity Fair wrote a feature on Isabella in which the author called her the world's most uncategorizable star. And I think she is that in every way. A delightful enigma. An extraordinary talent who's also affable, warm, and down-to-earth, and really curious. You can find her latest book, My Chickens and I, at abramsbooks.com. 
The book's a delight, and it's filled with more of her wry observations and hand-drawn illustrations. And if you haven't seen Green Porno yet, you can find this Webby Award-winning series on Sundance TV and online at SundanceTV.com. This episode was produced by Graham Chedd with help from our associate producer, Sarah Chase. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula. Our tech guru is Allison Costin. Our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or from wherever you listen. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. Next in our series of conversations, I talk with Father Greg Boyle. His Homeboys Industries in Los Angeles is helping thousands of young people escape the deadly culture of gang membership. Everyone who's walked through our doors, unspeakable things were done to them. And that's why they join gangs. It's not because of belonging or excitement. They're imagining their funerals. They're not planning their futures. At Homeboy, we say, you know, love is the answer, but tenderness is really the methodology. That's part of the culture of the place. You, you feel it. Uh, the minute you walk in the door, people will say, wow, what is this? And that's what it is. It's really a palpable sense of tenderness. Learn about how Father Boyle uses tenderness to cure alienation next time on Clear and Vivid. To listen to these conversations, subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions.